Well, morning, everybody, and it's uh, good for us to again turn our Bibles to Romans and to chapter 3 uh, to have the reading of God's Word and then to try and think about what this means. So, Romans chapter 3 this morning, uh, and we're going to read from verse 1 through to 20. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though every one were a liar. As it's written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us. I speak in a human way, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie... God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just? What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it's written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one, their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they've not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth might be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Amen. May God's word uh, touch our hearts this morning uh, as we think about it. I don't think there's, there's any way of getting around this. Uh, but the Bible's view of humanity, the way the Bible describes humanity is really quite different from how our society would describe that. Britain is a humanistic society. Uh, We, people, are placed at the center, the center of everything. You know, we are the sun that everything else revolves round about. And God has no place in that. Humanism believes in the basic goodness 
of people. That, that fundamentally, we're good people. That yes, we might make mistakes, we're frail, we've got failings, but fundamentally, we are good. Humans are good. And, and, and we've got great capacity. And as the song says, we can work it out. And uh, you look at a baby, as we've done this week, and, and you look at a baby and you think, well, look at all that innocence. And surely there is goodness here. But, but what we're going to find here when we describe this passage and when we read the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 1 to 20, is that the way that God analyzes and describes our souls, our hearts, what we are actually like, is, is actually quite, quite different from that. That we are not masters, really, of our own fate. That we are not captains uh, of our own soul. That there is something that is desperately wrong with humanity. And that goes against the grain, really quite fundamentally, as far as our, our world is concerned. It's not just the fact that, you know, if uh, we had better education and kids who were brought up in a deprived area to parents who were not the best examples, if, if they were just kind of transplanted somewhere else and were given much more in the way of opportunities and their environment was improved and they had a little bit more wealth, that, that things would all change round. And that is the prevailing understanding of what is required that we improve these things in our environment and then the good will flourish what we're going to learn this morning from this text is that at a very fundamental level the way that God describes things is is something that's quite different and and the word that comes up of course comes up twice in the passage in fact for the very first time in Paul's writings here to the Romans is the, is the word sin. You'll see that at the end of verse 19. Both Jews and Greeks are under sin. That means under, under the weight, under the load. There's a heavy pressure. Like, you know, John Bunyan's pilgrim with that great weight on his back that bowed him down throughout the whole of his life. There, there's a, we're under the weight of sin. And you, you get it again right at the very end of verse 20. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now, you know, and, and, and that, that is something that um, folks are just not comfortable with at all. Feel irritated. Maybe some of you feel irritated or feel offended just by the very fact that that word um, is used this morning. Some people feel even insulted when that word is used, it just seems so archaic and, and negative and, and morose, you know, and it conjures up to many people something that is just kind of psychologically damaging to people, to, to talk in terms of, of sin, and it just weighs people down with baggage and hang-ups that folks have gone through their whole life with because this topic of sin has been emphasized. And that's how an awful lot of people view that. But we have to ask the question, of course we do. We can't just be naive. I mean, why are we the way that we are? And why, why is our world 
the way that it is? And why has history played out the way that it has done? How do we explain all the wars and the wickedness and all the difficulties and the, and the problems? I don't know if we can just describe all this corruption and selfishness and self-promotion and greed in terms of man's basic fundamental goodness. And of course that's what Paul has been building up to all along in these first few few chapters here. You know, we've said a few times that humanity is being put in the dock. It's a courtroom kind of analogy that's being used and he's brought in different types of people. You know, chapter one, there's the guy who just lives in idolatry and paganism and, you know, living a chaotic moral lifestyle. Then he brings in a guy who might look on himself as being a little bit more moral and upright and refined than that. And then the Jew is brought in with his religious background. And, you know, they all seem pretty different at, at, at some levels. And yet what Paul is, is really asserting is that, well, they might be different, but they're all the same. It doesn't matter if I think that I am superior to this man. I'm a Jew, you know, or I'm, I'm moral. And I would never do what that guy did. Well, there is a sense in which, because of my hypocrisy, my arrogance, my sense of superiority, that in itself shows the basic goodness is absent, actually, from me. And so, the conclusion, the verdict that he builds up to, and this is really what this passage is about, is God's verdict against humanity. Uh, These verses... Uh, towards the end of our reading, verse number 19, where it says that every mouth might be stopped and the whole world might be held accountable to God. It's almost as if in the dock, you know, everything has now been said, all the evidence has been brought forward, and there's, there's no more defense lawyer talk. Every voice has been silenced. Nobody has got anything else to say. The verdict is given. The whole world, guilty before God. Not basically good, but basically sinful. Now, what we have to do, of course, is to try and understand what we mean when we use that word sinful. And that's what this passage does. It is helping us to understand it. It is helping it to be defined. I mean, already in the first couple of uh, chapters, he has talked about you know, certain specific examples of what we could refer to as sin. Although he he hasn't used that word until now. And he's talked about, you know, idolatry. He's talked about sexual immorality. He's talked about, you know, people who who, who are superior and who are hypocrites. And these are all examples of it. But now he's, he's going to dig a little bit deeper into the human problem. And as, uh, we need to understand, you see, Sin is not just items that we can list. Sin is a root problem. I've said this before. It's, it's not, it's not a symptom. It's a disease. You know, in the same way as, you know, I have a cough. But that's not the problem. The problem is, is COVID or whatever that causes the cough. And so sin is the problem. 
Sin is an issue that causes people to behave in a certain way. So let's look at some of the things. Now, you will have noticed that, you know, from verse number 11 down, there's a whole string of things that are there. These are quotes. They, They are Old Testament quotations that he just strings together. And they're taken from about six different places, mainly the Psalms, the book of Isaiah. And there are really four, about 13 or 14 points, depending how you look at it, that, that he's making as far as sin is concerned. And what I'd like to do is just to try and kind of summarize that, to, to make uh, three or four points from, from what is put down here. Now, the, the first point I'd like to make about sin, that is that sin is argumentative. It's argumentative. I'm actually taking that from uh, verses 1 through 8. You'll notice that there are three questions that are asked. He he kind of anticipates them, but it's not just theoretical. These are questions that were asked of Paul, you know, as he presents the gospel. These were probably questions that he himself raised in his own arguments before he was converted, as he spoke to Christian people. And, you know, he's saying, for instance, well, you know, you, you say there's no advantage in being a Jew. You say that a Jew is, is not just an ethnic Jew. It's, it's, it's someone who, in their heart, has these beliefs and values. Uh, is there any value in it at all? Well, 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 there is a value, he says. I'm not, I'm not disparaging. I'm not criticizing. And the value that he gives here is this, is that... To the Jews, the word of God, the very oracles of God were entrusted. You know, they were were given the word of God. They were entrusted with them for themselves and to disseminate it to the world. I mean, there's a principle here for us actually, just in passing. You know, it's this whole idea of with great privilege, there comes great responsibility. I mean, I think that is a very true thing. You know, we have been entrusted with the very oracles of God. The very oracles of God. God's word that we understand. Some of us have been brought up with it, with our mother's milk. You know, and it's been something that has been part and parcel of our life. And many people have not had that privilege. We have great responsibility, some of us, as the Jews did. And that responsibility gives us now that privilege gives great responsibilities for us to deal with that and how we handle that and what our response is to all of that that is a huge challenge I think to many of us I just want to particularly talk about the third question um, that is asked here in this section the argumentative nature of the people who oppose the gospel I mean, basically what they're saying is this. You know, if my unrighteousness, verse 5, serves to show the righteousness of God, well, you know, why, why, is, God, why is God angry with me? If, you know, my lie that I tell demonstrates and highlights God's truth, well, why, why am I being condemned? Because it actually enhances God's glory. And, and so the person 
who is hearing the word of God explained in these first few chapters, he's not, he's not lying down to it. He's not accepting it. He's not prepared to take that. He's up on his hind legs and he's arguing the, the case. And he's pushing back on it. And there's a bit of tension and a bit of conflict here. And he says, I'm not having this. I don't accept this. I think this needs to be argued out and debated. Now, we all know that we're not meant to just take things at face value. And just believe it because somebody says it. You know the classic thing about the people in Berea that Paul went to? He said that there were, there were people who searched the scriptures to see if these things were true. You know, we know we have minds, but what this really is, is not just, let me think about this. This is somebody who, I'm not accepting it. You know, there's no way I'm taking this. I don't believe that at all, and I'm going to argue my point. Now, sin, sin, this, this issue of sin is argumentative, fundamentally argumentative against God. We don't like what God says. We rebel against that. And rather than being under the authority of God's word and accepting it and taking it and believing it, we sit over God's word. And we argue against it. And we criticize it. And we judge it. So the question for us is, am I under or am I over this morning, the word of God? Argumentative or or believing. Second point I'd like to make about what sin is like, not just argumentative, but universal. Universal. You see that, don't you, in verse 11. None is righteous. No, not, not one. And if you go down that section, you know, the variations of that about no one and so forth comes up about nine times. Certainly making that point fairly clear, the universal nature of sin. So it's not just that there are certain groups of people who are prone to sin. It's something that affects everybody. Children, that baby. The old person. The educated person. The person who has not had these kind of privileges. Whoever they are. The Jew. You know, the the greatest statesman. You know, the Old Testament characters that are brought forward. The best of men. Men at the best. That's all they are. This is universal. Across the board. None of us can opt out. It's a message that comes to everybody. Not just in this room this morning. But across our city. And across our world. This is a comprehensive. Universal. Message. And that is why it is such a necessary one. And everybody goes about their business. You know, they're all hill walking. You know, the airports are filling up again. Folks are walking down the street. You know, it's, it's as though, you know, the sun is shining and we're all well with the world. But there's a universal problem. There's a universal disease. Affects everybody. Without exception. There is nobody righteous. Nobody who is in a right standing before God, as it says in verse 23, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, there are degrees of that. 
But nevertheless, everybody has fallen short. Apparently in the old days, if you wanted to join the police force, you had to be six feet tall. All right? So the guys all come in for their interviews, for their physical, and they line up. Doesn't matter if you're five foot eleven and a half or you're five foot two, you both have fallen short. If we line up a whole lot of people on the beach and say, We're going to try and see who can jump all the way to Norway, you know, and everybody runs and they have a go at it, and some people manage a couple of inches, and some people manage over twenty feet. Nobody jumps to Norway. And the point is this, that God's standard, His holiness, His perfection, His purity, is so beyond us that universally all of us fall short. We come short of that. And so sin has no exceptions. Point three, argumentative universal there's something about understanding see that none is righteous no not one no one understands no one seeks for God and it's not just that the truth of God and the gospel has to do with my intellectual capacity There's something much more fundamental. At a very kind of root level, because of of this concept of sin, this disease that inflicts the human soul, it prevents me from understanding the gospel. Prevents me from truly wanting to seek after God. In fact, I might ask you just to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 because there is an illustration of that here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and at verse number 8 where it says this. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now look at verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. See that? There is something about our humanity that prevents us from understanding or even from having the desire at all to want to seek after God. You see, my, my mind and my will, my decisions are not free. We like to think that we've got free will. You know, and I can do and I can choose whatever I want to do. We don't. We've got prejudices. And the prejudices that we have affect the way that we think about things and about the decisions that we make. 
Martin Luther, way back at the time of the Reformation, wrote a very famous book about this, actually. And it was called The Bondage of the Will. And that, that's really the point that he was making. Sin has got such an overwhelming effect on me that it affects everything. The way I think, my understanding, the things that I desire, the things that I want, this condition. And it's only God himself who can break into that. That's why the gospel, sitting under the sound of the Bible, is such an important thing that God by his spirit breaks into that. I cannot do that myself. Now just to make that point a wee bit more, there are many places in scripture that substantiate this. You know, the God of this world, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe so that we can't see the gospel of Christ. Blind minds, blind hearts. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. It's not even the fact that we're described as being sick spiritually. Very unwell. We're, we're dead. And dead people have no response, no connection. We have no connection to God. That is the severity of this point. No understanding. And this kind of leads on to the, the, the next fourth point I want to make. Is that there is a, what I might call a kind of totality about sin. Now you probably notice that uh, as we go through the quotations there, different anatomical body parts are mentioned. It talks about mouths and lips and throats and tongues and eyes and feet, you know. In fact, there's a verse in Isaiah that says that from the, from the top of the head to the sole of the feet, there, there is just uncleanness. There is no wholeness, spiritually speaking, in humanity, there is a totality that is affected. You may well have come across the phrase total depravity. Now, that doesn't mean that I or, or you are like Hitler. You know? It doesn't mean that we're as bad as we possibly could be. That's not what that phrase means. But what it does mean is every part of, if you like, my spiritual anatomy is affected by sin. Every part. There's not a part that's not affected. The way I speak, the things I say, the places I go, the way I think, the decisions I make, the emotions that I have, every part of my life carries a, a fatal flaw line. You know, it runs right through my being and my personality, totally. Every part of humanity is infected, if you like, if you change the metaphor, with, with the plague of, of sin as we fall short of the glory of God. You know, and it says, and no one is good. Not even one. No one does good. You say, wait a minute. Lots of good things happen. People do good things. I was reminded of that bit in the film, you know, Saving Private Ryan. At the end, he goes back to the war cemetery and he asks his family, am I a good person? You know all that these guys did for me? 
during the war, they came to find me. Some of them gave their lives for me. Am I, have I been worthy of that? Have I lived a good life? Am I a good person? You know, the point that is being made here is that although at times we might do good things, the, 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 the tremendous sadness, you know, we sometimes look at politicians and, and, and criticize them for this. You know, they smile, they say something, a policy is made, and then you ask, well, why did they do that? Why did they say that? Was it for some ulterior motive? What was their motivation anyway? Was it to benefit themselves? And, and, and we know that's true in all our lives. Our motivation. What lies behind even the best of things that we say and seem to do. There is a corruptness. That's what God is saying. Basically, humanity. Not good. Not good at the core. Here is the indictment. Here it all is. And there are consequences to that. That's my final point. Consequences to this. So for instance, in verse number 15, 16. In their paths are ruin and misery. Ruin and misery. Misery of humanity. The ruin of humanity and of lives. That's, that's, that's the effect of, of this awful thing that, that Paul is now trying to address and to highlight and to describe, to make clear to his readers and to us this morning. We look out on the world. You know, we look into our own hearts. Perhaps most of all we should look into our own hearts. And we say, that rather than all the other stuff that the psychologists or the media are trying to tell me about who I am, here is God with all his knowledge and authority, and he is shining a light, and this is who I am. This is the problem. This is God's verdict. It's God's indictment. And to go back to this courtroom scene type of thing, it's, it's me, it's me that is in the dock. And after God saying this about me, my, my mouth is closed. I have no defense. I have no argument. I can't counter-argue this. I have no smart, clever words to say. The wind is out of my sails. I take it. I'm guilty before God. You know, I have, I have accountability towards God. And nothing can help me. The law will not justify me. Doesn't matter how religious I am and what I try to do. The works of the law are not sufficient to deal with a problem as serious as this. And this, of course, is where the gospel now comes in. You know, we have to make these points. We have to see how bad it is before we can understand how good the gospel is. If we don't understand the seriousness of our situation, we will never, we will never do anything about it. But that's what he's doing. He, he paints this picture to bring us to the point that the only thing that can help, and praise God it's here, and it's available, and God willing, next week, 
That's where the the great point comes in. Verse 21, but now, but now the righteousness of God is being revealed. Here is the power of God unto salvation. This is the gospel that I'm not ashamed of. This is the thing that I'm so eager to visit you guys in Rome with because irrespective of, of the severity of the situation, and it's important that you understand that, and it's important that you take that to heart, here is a message that addresses it. Here is the word of God. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. And he points his hearers to Calvary. He points them to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, dying upon the cross, taking the burden of the sin of the world, Christ becoming accountable, Christ becoming guilty, for the sin of humanity and being condemned for that. That is the message of the cross. So that my belief in Him, my dependence on Christ and not upon myself will render me righteous in good standing, right standing before God. Maybe there's somebody here today and reading through this passage of scripture has wakened you up maybe this is the time to respond in faith to Christ alone for us who are Christians hearing these things again another reminder of what the human condition actually is why our world is the way that it is you know just to be reminded about the truth of of the human soul and to be filled with a sense of wonder that God has saved you and opened your eyes by His Spirit and taken you to Christ and seen the sufficiency of His, of His death upon the cross. And here we are as a church here in Hebron, understanding this hopefully and with the message of the gospel that we can take to our friends and our families and our neighbors and our city to be a, a light for this gospel of Christ. We will only understand how good the gospel is when we grasp how bad our situation is. And so we turn our eyes to Christ. We're going to sing that song just after a brief prayer. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That is what the gospel is all about. Hope to be saved, to have sin removed through the precious blood of Christ. May God bless his word. Uh, Let's have a brief prayer. Lord, we're grateful for the clarity of this description of the human condition, your verdict upon it. Help us, Lord, wherever we're at, to respond to that, either in faith for the first time, with a sense of awe and gratitude, with a sense of responsibility, and help us not just to be left hanging in a state of despair but because of this description being cast upon Christ and to turn our eyes upon the sufficiency and the greatness of the Lord Jesus so we we pray for each other we pray for the children we pray for our city today in Jesus name Amen